I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Welcome to my vagina. This is Jesse Karen. And this is Rebecca Frank. And here we are again having our current. You tried to steal my I line. almost did. <laughs> it's because I know it by heart. I know. I love that it took me like six months to learn it. <laughs> and here we are again having our current historical, hysterical, and infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina-having organisms. All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. Just kidding, fools. It's definitely researched. <laughs> So I have a really awesome friend from grad school named Dee, and she um, has been working specifically for years and years on children in armed conflict, um, basically getting children out of armed conflict situations, getting them out of uh, situations in which they are brought into the army to fight. She's been doing work with the UN. She texted me and she was like, oh, my God, all these people, I have your sticker on the back of my computer and all these people keep asking me about it. Yay. And so Jesse went up and left stickers for her. And she D gave our stickers to a bunch of people at the UN. And she's now our official vagina ambassador to the UN. True. I think that's really exciting. That is really exciting. So hopefully we're getting new listeners. Everyone loves the stickers. Please review us. Please review Please us. hand out our stickers. Hand out our stickers. If, if you, you want, want stickers, stickers, we'll send them. <laughs> we will send them. We will send I'll them. I'll fucking send some fucking stickers. Pass out my vulva. So now we're going to talk about sex. 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 <laughs> With Dr. Lori Batito. <laughs> then we are going to guess weird fetishes with each other. That came out so bizarrely. <laughs> yeah, it did. And we learn about how poorly we did in Latin. Hopefully, Good times. Hopefully you did better at the game than we did. Grab right. a glass of wine. Maybe, maybe make a, a game out of it. Yeah, make a drinking <laughs> game. Tell us how it goes. <laughs> Yo, I don't think we should talk about oh, this. Come on, why not? People might misunderstand what we're trying to say. You know? No, but that's a part of life. We're here with Lori Batito, and I guess, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm a clinical psychologist mm -hmm. uh, with a specialty in sexuality, 
during the day, I'm, uh, I see patients. I do a lot of marriage counseling and individual therapy for sexual problems. At night, I have a nightly radio program that's been running in Montreal for 20 years now, and it's uh, about sex and relationships. I also am the director of the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center, uh, so and I give a lot of talks. I'm the author of the Sex Bible for people over 50. Mm. Uh, so that's you know I, the gist of what I do. <laughs> when, but when do you sleep? <laughs> when do I sleep? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just I casually. Try to, I try to get in my seven hours. Yeah. Right. You're the dinner yeah. guest that I've always wanted. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's usually when I want to turn off. It's like, okay, don't ask me about sex. Please don't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That happens often. I'll go to, uh, you know, some social event and somebody knows, finds out who I am and they'll come up to me and says, oh, I have this thing on my penis. Uh, do, oh my God. Do you think you could tell me what it is? I really don't want to talk about your penis while I'm here oh. enjoying myself. <laughs> So it's so funny because I thought about that. I was like, man, people must treat you like a doctor or a nurse where they're like, oh, let me ask you this really weird, That's bizarre right. question. Mm -hmm. That's right. uh, or they want to know what's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Or, and there's always there's always these questions. The same yeah. questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What drew you to become a sex therapist? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I don't it's hard to, to pinpoint when I think I've always wanted to do this, even in my high school years. Uh, I was like the go-to person that my friends would ask me all kinds of questions. And oh, awesome. for some reason, they thought I had the answer. I, it was just easy for me to talk about it. And it wasn't like I was so advanced sexually, but I was always able and, and uh, you know, to go get the answers. But back then, we didn't have the internet. My only real source was a Cosmopolitan magazine, which had, you know, <laughs> great tips for giving blowjobs or great tips yeah. or whatever else, I think it right? still does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and I was reading up, like the height report came out back then and it just showed, I just had an interest. So I was reading up on a lot of stuff. And so my friends would come to me and then eventually I always knew that I wanted to be like in the helping profession somehow. Mm. Uh, and so it just evolved. Like I met the right teachers, the right mentors. And then I was able to, uh, to do some, uh, uh training in the field of sex therapy. So that was really good. How did you end up linking up with Pornhub? And uh, so that them? was an interesting story. I mean, I've been doing, you know, I've, I've been in the field now for about 30 years and, um, most of my career has been about disseminating information to people and really talking about sexuality in such a way that uh, it was understood and in a very uh, nonchalant, um, easygoing kind of way. So I, I have a, my manager actually uh, knew the people from Pornhub and she knew that they were looking for some new project. Like a lot of people don't know this, but they are involved in community um, community initiatives where uh, they support like, you know, breast cancer and they support different things. And so we got together and we came up with this idea. And I, for me, it was a no brainer. It was really about how do I reach, like, what's the best way to reach the most amount of people. And by joining up with Pornhub, which has nothing for me to do with the porn industry, because my the work that I do is not about the porn industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I figured they get 100 million views a day. Mm -hmm. That's wow. like a <laughs> lot. Yeah. Right? 
so where else could I possibly get that kind of uh, exposure or that kind of not exposure, but reach? It wasn't about me. It was about them. Mm-hmm. It was about people who needed information. So all these people who are going on pornography uh, and and all over the world. And I'm thinking there are plenty of places in the world where there is just no sex education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was my way of kind of saying, okay, well here, I'm going to create a space for you to go get answers that are beyond what you are learning in, uh, in pornography. And so that's, that's how it, that was my objective. And, and I think we pretty much reached that. And then from that point on, Uh, like people have access to me by sending in questions and we've got thousands and thousands of questions that come through. Uh, And and so it's, it's been really successful and we've reached a lot of people. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you really, what do you think about our sex education in in the classroom right now? Uh, Well, uh, it depends where you go. Um, Quebec, for example, where I am now, sex education has become mandatory Mm -hmm. in schools, but we're still struggling to get it, uh, get it covered to finally get there, you know, in terms of how do you do it? So you've got all, it's mandatory, but who's going to give it? Right. Uh, And so there's a lot of that back and forth and hiring different people and, and some of the teachers. And so it's a little bit, still a little confusing, Mm -hmm. but we're on the right track. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot better than like some of the state's uh, abstinence-only education oh programs, which we know does not work. We already know that. Yep. Every every single research shows the same thing. So I still don't know why they're it's, sinking it's, so much money into it. Yeah, it's about teaching options, you know. Of course, and abstinence is one option. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's in in sex education, we teach abstinence because it's the only option where you can stay completely 100% safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is that reality? It's not reality. We want to address things like consent and pleasure and healthy Mm -hmm. relationships and and all of that as well. Who does teach us about pleasure? You talk about that. I I believe it was in an episode of Passion or maybe it was a TED Talk. Um, I know personally for me and like most people that I know, we kind of just have to figure it out for ourselves. And personally, I kind of feel like Somewhere, somebody owes me a lot of orgasms, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like 10 years worth of orgasms. But who do you think should or, yeah, but who do you think should teach us about pleasure? Like, how can we implement that? Well, I would hope that, uh, you know, parents can talk to their uh, teenagers about that. But is that going to happen? I don't know. My Mm. parents didn't. Did your parents? Um, I know that I did. (laughs) Like, I know that I made sure I spoke to my girls and said, Listen, I don't need to know exactly what you're doing. All I want to know is that if you're doing it, it's because it's pleasurable. If it's not pleasurable, you better come and talk to me. It's supposed to be pleasurable. When did you start talking to them about that? Was it when they were teenagers or like way earlier to kind of oh, set no, the stage? Oh, no, way earlier. Actually, the, the first that I remember the first conversation about pleasure I had was when my, I think my daughter was three and she was in the bath and she was touching herself. And she said, Oh, there's a little button here. And and I I said, that button's called your clitoris. And when you touch it, it feels good. Oh my God. I love you. Oh, okay, mom. (laughs) You know, okay. And then I, and then I went on to say, you can touch it all you want, but it's a private thing and you can do it in your room and whatever it was. And that was it. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and both my kids were in the bath at the same time. So it was like, okay, so they got, they got the, it's supposed to feel good. That's good. It wasn't tied to sex. It was tied to their body and body mm-hmm. acceptance yeah. Yeah, With, and without like, shame. 
Yeah. And then, of course, uh, teenagers, uh, schools, uh, colleges, like it's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of young people, uh, college people, uh, students who still ask for a lot of information who are only turning to porn. And unfortunately, pornography is just not a real uh, assessment of what uh, real sexuality in real life is like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to actually ask about that specifically, just about because it it does seem in what we've learned that pornography is filling in the role of what what should be taught in schools and conversations that people should be having. Are there positive roles, though, to because I because I feel like what you're doing with Pornhub is a positive way that pornography can be used by people to educate. Are there uh, other things that you've seen um, where the pornography communities is kind of like leaning into this responsibility or something? Well, they're not, this is not porn, the porn industry's responsibility. They're there for entertainment purposes. Mm -hmm. They have a purpose. They're, Mm -hmm. it's entertainment. Can you, it's adult entertainment, just like the movies we go to that are PG-13 or, um, you know, adult rated movies that are violent or whatever it is, are there for entertainment. Does that mean you can't learn something? You can, you can call it infotainment, you know, (laughs) Uh, but, but that's for people who already have some basis of of sexual knowledge mm-hmm. to be able to use pornography as you know maybe get experimental or uh, oh let's look at different positions that are possible or whatever but mm-hmm. if you if that's your only source if you're uh, eight nine ten eleven twelve years old and you start watching porn and that's all you get without a sex education background to um, uh, you know to to figure it out, uh, then, then you're going, you're going to use that as your sole example. And mm-hmm. that just doesn't work. Well, for one, do you think it changes sexuality in our society as a whole? I know from like conversations that I've had with a few of my guy friends, they've kind of suggested that maybe porn has made them not numb, but like kind of want to one up on like more and more. Yeah, That's one of the pro that, that is definitely one of the problems. So if you have like a, if you're watching a lot of pornography, a lot of masturbation, you're doing something to your brain that you're you're always increasing mm. that level mm-hmm. of uh, stimulation, right? It's all about stimulation. What's the stimulant? So uh, just a real human body who d- isn't doing all these things is not no longer stimulating enough for the brain. So in case if this is happening, it's going to create problems in relationships. And the only way to do that is to go on a porn like diet, like get get off it, you know, yeah. get off it and start getting your body used to a different kind of arousal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, with 100 million people viewing porn, you're not it's not 100 million people who are getting addicted to it. It's not 100 mm-hmm. million people who are having issues with it. Most people use it, use porn in a very in, in a. Uh, in a kind of a healthy way, right? It, it's, it, it peaks their arousal, their mm-hmm. desire. Uh, they masturbate, they watch for 10 minutes. That's it. It's over. It's done for others. They can spend hours on pornography and that will create uh, a different kind of, uh, of problem. Now I do see young men in my practice more and more with performance anxiety mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. they have questions because nobody's told them that, um, the average penis is 5.3 inches. They still think that they don't understand. I'm watching this and there's like 10 inch penises <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And I don't, under, mine looks tiny in comparison and they don't, they think that's what it is, right? Yeah. I want that. 
uh, or uh-uh. um, they don't last as long. You know, again, they don't know that uh, 95% of men ejaculate within two to five minutes of intercourse. Mm. So they're not like they're not connecting that that's fantasy and they're mm. only going to get the the biggest, the, you know, the edited version and all of that. So to me, yeah. it's like if you only look to movies to learn how to drive, like movies like The Fast and the Furious, if that's your only exposure to cars, you're going to think that's how you drive. Mm-hmm. That's not how we drive in real life. Right. Yeah. That's so we have to make that distinction for um, the distinction between what's fantasy and what's reality, what's entertainment and what is educational. So and, and talk to women, because honestly, yeah. sometimes I don't want a 10 inch penis. And I also don't want to go for an hour. Your vagina won't take it. It that hurts. Other, it hurts. The, the other thing is uh, 75 percent of women don't orgasm through intercourse. So mm. I don't care if you're going for three hours. You're not going to get her to come. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. You know, so like that's not where you should be focusing. Focus on foreplay. Uh, Find out what your partner actually wants. She doesn't care if you have uh, six inches. Six inches is perfect. Four inches is is good enough to give pleasure too. like there's so many other factors there. So many other things isn't about Mm -hmm. that. So like if you talk to real women, they will tell you the the truth. Like you said, we don't want it to last for an hour, an hour of thrusting. Oh, God. That is painful. Yes. God forbid. It sure is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> also, exactly. I've also wondered uh, a lot about the just kind of talking about sex education and the lack of and, and what you just said now, thinking about that in terms of consent. I know that I've had experiences so many times in which dudes have uh, maybe seen, watched a decent amount of porn and not realized about the conversation that is involved in uh, what's consented to in advance and will all of a sudden like shove a finger up my butt without telling me. Oh my. And it's like, you oh, can't wow. just do that. <laughs> like, that. No, you cannot just do that. No way. It's Next like, time, do it to him. Right? Yeah, let's see how he feels. She gets it. Yeah. That's kind of a rule that I had with somebody once. They were really big and they were like, I want to have um, butt sex. And I was like, cool, you put something the same size as your hard penis in your butt. And I am down to try. <laughs> That's right. If you try it, I'll try it. Yep. You know? Or like I've heard other women say, you know, uh, like some guys think all women should swallow, for example. And then I've had women say, okay, well you take a mouthful yep. of yeah. your sperm. You tell me if it tastes good. And then if you're willing to do it, I'll do it too. And how does that make a difference? Honestly? <laughs> yeah. You've already come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know it's, but again, it's what, it's what they see on what they see there. It's like, Oh, can I come all over your face? Um, maybe not. I don't think I want that. Right. And yeah. said, well, why all the other girls seem to like that. That's all yeah, them. the girls in porn. Yeah. Like what other girls? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was watching your Ted talk on uh, the pleasure principle and you talk about how we celebrate male gratification and shame women for the same mm-hmm. and how right. we still like grow up with all these negative messages. And then we're supposed to like, when we grow up, just magically be able to orgasm. So I was wondering if you could talk to us about those women who are like, aren't in touch with their bodies or they think they're abnormal in some way. Um, and where that stems from, like what you tell them, I'm asking like a thousand questions and like, why as a society do we put male gratification first? Uh, well, we men tend to talk to each other, right. About, about, uh, uh, their exploits, if you will. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like the locker room talk has been around for forever, but women somehow, we still have those, the double standard. We still have messages around women who are free with their sexuality or, or have multiple partners or, 
they they still feel like they're being judged. You still have guys saying, oh, I don't want a woman that has a, had a lot of partners. Oh, but it's OK for them to have a lot of partners. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, it's like, oh, sure, you go ahead, but you want a virgin. You and know, then you're supposed to magically be good at orgasming somehow. Yeah. Never All having had sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's still a double standard. Not as much. I have to say not as much as in my day. I think women today are taking charge more of their sexuality. They are, there's far more women who are watching porn today than there ever was. Mm. Uh, so women are getting the message, hey, it's okay for, for me to ask for what I want. It's okay for me to get uh, pleasure from this. And it, I can choose uh, to have sex the way I want to have sex as yeah. well. So whether it's casual, whether it's non-monogamously, what, whatever it is. So women are able to express themselves a bit more. Still, they still face the judgment of uh of some of their friends so they may not talk about it with with their friends and so they end up feeling alone um that's one side of it i do get a lot of women who don't have the right information about sex so they mm-hmm. come in thinking there's something wrong with me or my boyfriend told me to come in because there's something wrong with me he can't make me come i don't come with sex i'm there's something wrong <laughs> and then i you know sure. i just ask a few <laughs> a few questions it's like oh uh, do you masturbate? Yeah. Uh, do you get orgasms? Uh, yes. Okay. So you you don't have a problem with orgasm. Mm-hmm. You have a problem or you think you have a problem because you're not orgasming with intercourse. Mm-hmm. And this is what your partner's making you feel that what's wrong with you. All the women I've been with before have had orgasms with intercourse, except that what he doesn't know is that many of those women have faked it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. right, so uh, and so they don't know the basic facts that that the majority of women do not and cannot have an orgasm through intercourse alone. That they need that clitoral stimulation. So they often leave my office like with tears of relief. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, I thought I, I thought there was something wrong with me for all these years. Yeah, um, and really there wasn't. So, but it's about getting that conversation out there. And being able to speak about this so people don't carry this with them for a very long time. Because women, we do tend to carry a certain uh, shame about our bodies or Mm -hmm. shame about our functioning um, or thinking that we have a problem. Who do I speak to? I can't talk to anybody about this. What what should I do? So once they eventually um, do make the call and and do figure it out, then they realize, okay, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Like it's not, it's really not a problem. Yeah, I think that also is like, I don't know, I've had I've totally had that exact thing happen to me of men in those exact words saying, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. A, B and C. And, you know, I think so much through our education and the way that we're treated and and like lack of sex education, lack of conversations and things really causes us to kind of like accept that and be like, oh, it must it has to be me and must be me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to think like I wouldn't at that time would never, I would never in a million years look at someone and say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. You know, cause it's yeah. a, it's a thing that you're doing with someone else. So like, what's, what are we not doing together? Like what is, you know, what, how can we address each other's needs better mm-hmm. is well, part of it. But uh, Yes. Except that you're talking about for a lot of men, sex is tied into, or, or their performance is tied into how they feel about themselves and their mm-hmm. confidence. And they want to know that they can make you pump. They want right. to know, they don't realize it's not their responsibility, yeah. that it's your responsibility. And for some men, I have to explain it to them. It's like a woman's orgasm is between her ears. It's in her head. It's not just in her body. And if she is, there could be a hundred different reasons why 
uh, she's not letting go and it has nothing to do with your technique or your ability. So Mm -hmm. if you develop a relationship where a woman might feel safe and able to talk about sexuality and able to communicate about this, then you might see that that isn't the problem uh, anymore. The juxtaposition is so funny though, because uh, a male's first response generally is to, is to kind of blame. Whereas I've, I've found, and I've said this a few times on our podcast that um, I often still as like a pretty sexual, like independent aware of myself have found that I still focus on them so that they come and like, it's not about, and I would never blame them for not coming. It's more of like me kind of like you're, you come first. If I don't come, it's fine, but you come first. But then what happens is you end up in a situation where you become the giver Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to be the taker. Right. And so you say nothing. So you give, he feels fine. He figures you're okay because you haven't said anything. And then eventually you say, well, hey, wait a second, like I'm not getting much out of this or I'm only I I only feel like I'm giving. And eventually you're you're going to say this feels like a chore Mm -hmm. if you're not Mm -hmm. able to take. So I try to teach women that sex isn't for women. It's not about giving sex to somebody else. It's about sharing an experience, Mm -hmm. but also taking for yourself, like valuing your pleasure and if it, and if you're not getting pleasure out of it, you've got to speak up and yeah. you have to talk about what you need to get that pleasure. Yeah. yeah like no one's going to do it for you. But I am curious what your advice would be for people and like how they can ask for what they want in bed. Well, I, I think that sexual conversations should happen before they get into bed, frankly. Like I'm always amazed how many people have sex without ever talking about having sex, Mm -hmm. right? So, so we need to talk, we need to be able to communicate about uh, someone's STI history, about consent. We need to have these conversations before we get into the bedroom. Yeah. Um, And being able to just uh, have that openness a little bit so Mm -hmm. that we can, we can talk about it even while it's happening. But you don't have to verbally say, you can show a partner also what you like, you can direct them a little bit. So it's, you can do it with your vocalizations. Uh, if they've got a good spot, if they hit the right spot, you can say, yes, keep going. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, stuff like that. So you have to be able to, to share that because, you know, guys aren't, aren't the greatest mind readers. They, (laughs) they don't have our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise that, um, I don't remember, there was a statistic I was looking at in terms of, um, how often women, uh, will orgasm in a relationship. And it's far more in lesbian relationships mm-hmm. than in straight relationships. But that's because, you know, the women know the women, like yeah. we know our own bodies. We would know we are probably getting the spots better. Yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. where they are and we know how to touch them. Was that in vice? So there's this idea that women can't orgasm as much as men or don't or something like that. And it's like simply because probably a lot of these studies have been written by men. Yeah. (laughs) You know, or like only studied certain certain relationships, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have to look at uh, all women and their their experiences, even if you ask women their solo experiences, their Mm -hmm. ability to orgasm with masturbation, you'd probably find that all women will have orgasms if they, if they masturbate. So mm-hmm. it's not about the, whether they can or can't have mm-hmm. orgasms. It's how, mm-hmm. yeah. how are they going to get there? Yeah. What, what do they need in order to get there? I was wondering if you could talk to us more about how you define fetish and what it, you think makes it an issue or a problem. 
So it's, that's interesting because that concept has changed or the, even the terminology we use today has changed over the last 30 years. So 30 years ago, I would get people coming in to see me with a, a particular fetish. And why did they come, seek out help? Because they, they thought there was something seriously abnormally wrong with them. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm attracted to, or, or I, I get aroused when there's a stalking around or I get aroused by women's feet and they think they're the, they, back then they thought they were the only ones with this preference or this uh, arousal trigger um, because they didn't have any uh, communities to go to. There was no internet. There was nowhere to find others with it, right? Today, I don't see anybody with fetishes anymore unless the fetish is interfering in a relationship. Right. So, um, I'll give you an example. I had one, one, uh, couple that came to see me because the wife had just discovered that her husband, uh, was into, um, adult baby fetish or, uh, like wearing diapers, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. And that was a turn on for him. And it was like, he could function without it. That was, he could, he could have sex with his wife, no problem. But one day he decided to tell her of this secret uh, desire that he would sometimes indulge in when she wasn't around, like right. when she went away or whatever, she flipped out. It was really, uh, it really rocked that relationship. Oh, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately it, it ended up destroying that relationship. Yeah. Um, but this same gentleman ended up finding a partner who was perfectly fine with it. That's great. And, Yay. and, and I encouraged him to talk about it from the get go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, having those, not like date one, but to, to be able to talk to this person say, look, sometimes I get aroused by this and whatever. And interestingly enough, the fact that the, the partner, the new partner was perfectly okay with him indulging in it. He has less of a need to go to it because it's not taboo anymore. It's like, yeah. right. You know, it's not with, it's not being withheld from him. He can have it anytime he wants. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it just made it, it just became less salient in his life and didn't, it was a non-issue now. It was a preference. Okay. Sometimes he indulged, sometimes he didn't Mm -hmm. all good, but you can see the difference in how it can be destructive to a relationship and how you can turn it into simply something that is a a preference for you that you can indulge in with, uh, with your partner, or maybe you have a, maybe you're into a BDSM and your partner isn't, but you make an arrangement that, okay, well, I don't mind. You can go see a dominatrix, you know, once Mm -hmm. a month and and, and get that done and, and whatever else. And then, and then you have sex with me the rest of the time and, mm. and it works for them. Yeah. So there are different ways to negotiate that kind of thing. Mm. It becomes a problem when it is the only way for somebody to get aroused. It is the, like they can't have uh, sex with their partner without object, that object present, mm. but it still has to cause them distress. So the the key for dysfunction is distress. If it's not causing their partner distress or the relationship distress, then it's then it is what it is. It's yeah. like we know people have fetishes and 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 that's it. It doesn't have to be uh it doesn't have to be a dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Things have gone mainstream. A lot of fetishes have gone mainstream. Yeah. BDSM is mainstream. Uh I mean so much is talked about now that it's like non-issues. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a little and more you, normalized. Yeah, and you can find it online if you want to. Like if and oh, if you want yeah. to learn more about it and that is like kind of gets 
it stops those people coming from you who think there's something wrong with them because they can look online and say, oh, there's a whole community out there that's into this exact same thing. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. And that's it. That That's enough to say, oh, well, okay, I, I may be a little alter- on the alternative side sexually, mm-hmm. but I'm certainly not alone. And there are mm. communities for every every fetish you can think of. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people mm. who are into the same thing. So people feel uh, much more supported in that. And so they're, they're not going to seek out help because they, it, it doesn't pose a problem to them in their relationship. Yeah. So you wrote a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want to hear about your book, Sex Bible <laughs> Over 50. And you talk about how yep. you can have a uh, better sex when you're 50 compared to when you're 25, but it takes a little more uh, effort or adaptation maybe. Well, the reason I wrote the sex Bible for people over 50 is because there's lacking information for uh, an aging population, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything's written for young. And uh, I mean, we can all relate to it, but still like specifically for the aging population, we need to know that things happen to us as we age. And we, a lot of people give up on sex, unfortunately, when there's a problem, like they can't get it up or they are menopausal or postmenopausal, and then they kind of like, ah, oh, forget it. I'm too old anyway. And mm-hmm. I hated hearing that. Oh like, my God. I, I really am a believer that you can have the best sex of your life uh, till the day you die. And I've <laughs> met people who are in their 80s who are having <laughs> great sex, you know, who are yeah. still sexual, still sexually active. And to me, they 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 really inspired me to continue to to write to to write this book. Uh, Plus the fact that when I wrote the book, I was turning 50. All my friends were in their 50s. It's like, okay, we need to talk about this. Like, Mm -hmm. no more sweeping this under the rug. Let's get it out in the open. Uh, And so I talk about all the issues that the potential issues that can come up for postmenopausal women, for men as they age as well. And I, so that it normalizes the aging process because a lot of people panic Mm -hmm. when there's, when changes happen, right? Like, Men especially, well, men and women, but men will like, oh my God, my penis isn't as hard as it it was. I want to mm-hmm. get that back. What's wrong with me? Why why can't I do it three three times in a row, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't realize that their penises are aging, their mm-hmm. bodies are aging, and it's going to have uh, some effect on, on their uh, sexual functioning. But it doesn't spell the end of your sex life. It mm-hmm. just means you have to adapt. So you have to either... Uh, look at, uh, so I go through in the book, all the possible um, treatments for erectile dysfunction, for example, I talk about how to get back on the sex track once you've given it up, Mm -hmm. uh, how to ease back into it slowly. We talk about how to explore different avenues for sexuality. So I run the gamut from, you know, exploring sex toys to exploring open uh, relationships. if, If somebody wants that or BDSM even and all of that kind of stuff. So I just try to cover all the different aspects um, of sexuality to make sure that we still keep it on our radar. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. Sex changes over time for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And especially when yeah. we look at like how ageist our societies are in general, like how we how we erase the stories of older people and how we stop seeing them, you know, and and think that their lives that, you know, like that they don't, I don't know. It's that they're not sexual beings. We, yeah, exactly. We, that's a perfectly ageist belief. It's yeah. like, you are right. Ageism is rampant in our society. And look at the words we use, right? When we see an elderly couple holding hands or kissing on a park bench, what is our first reaction? Oh, that's so say, cute. 
Oh, that's so cute. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is very ageist because we do not change. Our brains don't change. Mm-hmm. Our, our ability to love doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, uh, the, our wanting to be desired doesn't change as we get older. Mm-hmm. We still want to feel uh, wanted, desired, sexy. I don't care what age Mm-hmm. Uh, you are that it has that kind of thing has no expiration date. We mm-hmm. I've met people in their 80s who have fallen head over heels in love for the first well, since they're let's say previous partners, but and it it's looked like first love. Mm-hmm. It's like then they tell me, oh, we feel like teenagers Ugh. and we're having sex like teenagers. And I'm like crying. Yeah. It makes me really happy. <laughs> but it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, it's a really scary thing that I'm I I, I hate hearing people be like, oh, I'm too old to do this thing. I have an uncle right now who wants to like take his uh, uh, he wants to like drive across country and he's like, oh, I'm too old to do that. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And, and I'm with that philosophy, too. Like, yeah. unless you physically can't do something, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that you're never too old to challenge yourself with yeah. anything. I, mean, I just picked up boxing, you know, so I'm training as a boxer. Like, Get it. I'm by, you know, kicking some ass. I like it. <laughs> nice. You know, and I'm yeah. 55 years old. Like I. Now, that's not going to stop me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> even though I can, even though I got a senior's discount at the gym. <laughs> take the discount. Yeah. Oh, that's take right. the discount. I'm taking it. Yeah. Taking You're just going to keep one up in your badassery. I love I, it. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Watch me when I'm 75. <laughs> I have had really, since the age of 50, I would tell all my friends, like, 50s are amazing. Yeah. You, there, you don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Can I swear on this? Podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, fuck, yes, so please. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead of a bucket list, I call it the fuck it list. Yes. Because it's like, so, you know, I just say, well, fuck it. I'm yeah. Like past 50. I don't care. You know, I got not? my first tattoo at 52. Nice. You know, I got awesome. my second one at 53, whatever. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't care what people think. I can talk. I'll talk about what I want to talk about. And I, I care much less of what people think yeah. now than before. And it's like, I, I say, well, what's the worst that can happen now? Like, I, I'm not going to regret things now. I know what I want. Is it, is it ageism? Like, why is it that, because I feel like it's a lot of times, and maybe I'm incorrect here because I don't know as much about the men's side of things, but that like women's experiences and what our bodies go through aren't discussed normally. Like, why is it that every woman or most women seem to be caught by surprise by completely natural <laughs> things, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, men too, by the way, like we yeah. don't talk, uh, we don't talk about men's changes either. Like they, they don't know either because when men talk to each other, they don't necessarily talk about the difficulties they're having mm-hmm. getting it up. They're talking about the exploits and the guys who are listening, who are having issues are not saying a thing. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, women tend to talk more to each other, I think. But again, there's like, so if there's very little sex education for teenagers, what are we expecting for adults? Like right. really? right? There's, n- there's not much out there and you have to be interested enough to seek, seek it out. So like here where I am, I know that several doctors in, in Montreal, for example, have my book in their waiting room <laughs> for their, for their patients who are older. So there, but those are, it's when you go see a doctor, like this person you're talking about, will have seen her GP or, or, or her gynecologist who should have asked her about her sexuality, who Mm -hmm. should have told her about the sexual changes that might occur, who should have told her, listen, you're going to intercourse is going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. If you don't uh, use these estrogen based creams in your vagina, and if you don't use lubricant, you're going to get pain because you're 
the lining is thinning and you're going to have cuts there, mm-hmm. little, little tiny cuts that are going to be very painful. And what ends up, what often happens to these women is they just stop having intercourse mm-hmm. without, because they don't know what they can do about it and they mm-hmm. don't talk about it. So it, it's very sad because they could continue to have pleasure and they can continue to, to engage in whatever they want to engage in. But if they don't know what they can, how they can remedy it, what is, where does that leave them? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to know what sex is to you. Uh, what, what sexuality is to me yes. is more like it. Cause often people talk about sex. They talk about intercourse. I like to talk about sexuality in general. Sexuality to me is involves a lot more than intercourse. Like you can be sexual with your partner when you're just lying around naked in bed, mm-hmm. where you're just caressing, where you're, uh, you're cuddling. Like I always say like, whatever you're going to do with your partner that you would never do with a sibling, that's sex. That's part of sexuality. Yeah. Uh, and all of that, what's the goal? The goal of sexuality is to feel closer together. Like I'm talking about in long-term relationships, right? Um, is to is to feel a connection. So whatever you do that enhances that connection and gives you pleasure, because there's different kinds of pleasure. There's a pleasure you get from caressing. There's an, another pleasure you can get from an orgasm. But sex doesn't have to stop because, say, your partner is diabetic and can't get it up anymore. Mm-hmm. For example, that sex does not have to stop. You, you, your partner can still feel pleasure. You can still feel the touch. It may be a different kind of pleasure, but it's still pleasure. So I've learned to expand my definition of what uh, sexuality is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whatever, whatever two people want to do, <laughs> and, and that's the other thing I tell people, Whatever you both people consent to, I don't care what it is. If you're not hurting anybody, or you're yeah. not doing anything illegal, then then it's all <laughs> part of normal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, thank you so much. This was yeah, awesome. Thank you for taking the time to <laughs> talk to pleasure, us. My pleasure, ladies. Can you can you tell all of our listeners where to find you? So my uh, website is drlaurie.com. So d r l a u r i e dot com, and then you can find me. On, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at uh, Dr. Lori Betito, B-E-T-I-T-O is how you spell my last name. And the book is, is on Amazon. It's uh, now, I think, in paperback. It's also on a Kindle uh, version. So you can get it pretty much, uh, pretty much anywhere. And if people want to listen to my radio show, people can listen to it through the iHeartRadio app. And they can look for the show called Passion with Dr. Lori. Uh, and then they can have access to it there, or they can go to cjd.com and they can stream it live. Cool. And and by the way, if people want to check out the Pornhub site, if they go to pornhub.com slash sex, it goes right to my site rather than goes through uh, any of the porn sites. Cool. Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. Right. Thank you so much. It was so awesome talking to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm you. like, right. I'm flying right now. Since we just talked about, you know, nothing being wrong with kink or fetish, let's let's get into some weird fetish names, yeah? I just called it weird after I said it was totally I know, normal. right? But it's the names. The names it's the, it's are the funny. Name. <laughs> the names are funny. And they're things that I didn't even, honestly, like, I mean, you could be aroused by anything, but these are things I never would have, that have just never occurred to me. Who knew? Like, climacophilia, which is arousal to falling down the stairs. 
sounds like a phobia to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the Don't opposite. Fall down the stairs, or to watch someone else. It sounds dangerous. It does sound dangerous. Yeah, I'm usually all for fetishes as long as nobody gets hurt. It might be carpeted stairs. Yeah, or like a small flight. Oh, okay. I'm into that. (laughs) I love that this list of sexual fetishes that you've never heard of includes fetishism. (laughs) A fetish to fetish. Yeah. This one I remember because our producer told me about it. Um, Vor, which is short for vorophilia, a fetish in which one fantasizes about being eaten alive or eating another creature alive. The most common type of vor is soft vor being swallowed or swallowing whole with no bloodshed. So it's like totally innocent because it's yeah. mostly just like visual porn of like somebody swallowing somebody else whole like someone like they make someone really tiny yeah yeah exactly wow. but it's not like bloodshed or like yeah. cannibalism yeah um that could be like the size of a pill yeah and i mean it always just... makes me think they're attracted to snakes huh well i don't like this one what is it for tourism arousal to touching a stranger surreptitiously in a crowded place uh, that sounds yeah. like assault to me mm, yeah that's mm, yeah mm-hmm. i don't mm, like that one mm, don't, don't do that Lunars, balloon fetish. People who consider themselves lunars regularly incorporate balloons into their sex life. While there are some who find creative ways to um, use the balloons <laughs> while in the bedroom, others simply enjoy watching them being popped. Huh? Sure. God, children's parties must be very strange. <laughs> <laughs> pop, pop. This one actually is is good for us. Melissophilia, arousal to bees and wasps which I feel like maybe could tie in to our gall wasp guy. Wasp, man. On, it keeps coming back. It really does. It keeps coming back. Changing the name of this uh, podcast to Welcome to My Vagina, Gall Wasps <laughs> Invited. <laughs> Salarophilia, the Wait. love of getting dirty. What? I've got a really good idea. Okay. What if we guess what it is? Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. Cool. All right. So from here on out. We are going to guess what they are. This will go to your love of dinosaurs. Teron, teronphilia, but it's P-T-E-R. So P-teronphilia. Uh, sexually attracted to pterodactyls. <laughs> Close. Arousal to being tickled by feathers. Yeah. Perfect. Right? Pterodactyl fe- feathers. Yeah. Dacrophilia. Sexual arousal by the consumption of daiquiris. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds better. <laughs> it's aroused by tears in the act of crying. Well, some dacrophiliacs enjoy making slash watching someone cry there is a large number who enjoy being made to cry oh oh so sad yeah stigiophilia being sexually attracted to being stuck to another person physically (laughs) (laughs) i can stigiophilia (laughs) um no it's the arousal to the thought of hellfire and damnation wow nisophilia um being sexually attracted to people from Nice. <laughs> the French. Uh, the sexual arousal induced by tickling or being tickled, which is my fucking nightmare. There's a few of them. There's another one that's... Uh, Aw. Titilagnia, which is arousal to titties. tickling other people. You would think tit- titties, but no. Tickling other people. Maybe t- tickling their titties. I don't know. Microphilia. Arousal to really, really small penises or people. Yeah. That one. Neb- nebulophilia. Uh, i don't know (laughs) arousal to fog ah okay yeah okay yeah nasolingus attraction to nasal passages so close arousal to sucking on a person's nose oh shit yeah i was close yeah boogies boogies wait i I like this one put a little boogie in it i feel like i might have this one pygophilia or pigophilia pygophilia Man, I feel like the fact that I did not do well in Latin is really showing yeah, right ditto. now, right? Because <laughs> we should know this kind of stuff. 
is it like attraction to the brain like to the what is it it's a highly intense attraction to the buttocks which i may have (laughs) (laughs) i wish they had one for for really nice calves because that's my shit yeah yeah, i love a good set of calves i like a good butt yeah i like all kinds of butts too i like what kinds of butts just big ones small ones hairy ones bald ones i like all kinds of butts i like the perky ones the flat ones i like butts Jesse likes likes butts. You heard it here first, kids. Jesse loves a butt. Thank you for listening to Welcome to My Vagina. It's time for us to slide on out of here. God damn it. It doesn't sound right when I do it. Places you can find us on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. We're trying to get a thousand followers to tell your friends. And uh, Twitter at Welcome to My Vag. We also have a website, welcomebyvagina.com, which leads you to my YouTube page, also yep. Welcome by Vagina. Uh-huh. And there's a blog section where I have posted a couple of things, but we're also looking for writers. So if you have interesting opinions, if you are a person who wants to break into writing and wants to share your voice, we're looking for diverse opinions, all sorts of different people. We're basically looking know. for anyone who's not a cisgender man. Yeah. We, we definitely want you guys to be allies, but right now we're looking yeah. for other voices. Yeah. And also we love... Of, uh, our white women peers, but we're two white women sitting here, so we'd love more diverse voices. Please. Also, thank you so much to our producer, uh, Caitlin Moldenhauer of More Banana Productions. Please check out all of the work from this all-women network, including World Stealers, There Will Be Porn, I'm Listening with Anita Flores, and Awkward Sex in the City with Natalie Wall, which is coming to you in July. Yeah, More Banana Production is killing it. Yeah, guys, we're kind of taking over the world. And don't forget to review us. And subscribe and tell your friends. Yeah. And we're going to have merch soon. I don't know why that word always makes me think of Merkins. Ooh. (laughs) Merkin merch. Also check out all of Rebecca's writing at franklyrebecca.com. Dun-da-da! Dun-da-da! Yeah! All right. (laughs) See you next Tuesday. (laughs) See you next Tuesday. (laughs) 